Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Guys, I'm your host for this edition of Coffee and Questions. This is number three that I've done so far for Fieldcraft Survival. If you guys are not familiar with this format, uh, I, Kevin Estella, the Director of Survival Training, will solicit questions from you every single week on my personal Instagram page. I'll record some of them on that page that I'll record my responses on that page. And then what I'll do is uh, I will answer certain questions in greater depth and breadth here. So that way they get your, you know, full attention. All right. Uh, This podcast is all about answering questions and of course, (laughs) drinking coffee, which right now I'm on my third cup of black rifle coffee for the day. Earlier today, Start off my day with gunship. I usually brew that at home. I think there's a question coming up later on about my coffee maker. So I'll answer what kind of coffee maker I have. And then when I get to work, you know, after I do my morning poo or whatever it may be, um, then I do another cup of coffee, usually like Beyond Black uh, or uh, Silence or Smooth. Those tend to be my my preferred favorites. So uh, what I do here is I have my list of questions today. I'm going to get through, geez, let's see how many do I have here? I've got 28 questions. I'm going to get through all 28 questions. Uh, Usually what I'll do is I'll recognize the person that asked the question. I will then uh, proceed to answer the question and then keep going. Guys, uh, if you like this format, please uh, continue to ask me questions every single week on my Instagram page, which is at Estella Wild Ed. And if that doesn't work, if you can't get through to me for some reason, if I blocked you because you're a weirdo, then you can just email me your question uh, at, uh, let's see, it's Estella at fieldcraftsurvival.com, E-S-T-E-L-A at fieldcraftsurvival.com. All right, let me take a sip of this coffee and we'll get going. I'll tell you. Today's been a, a rough day. I, uh, I just got back into doing heavier weight training and I am freaking sore. So if you hear me kind of wincing a little bit, it's because I'm, <laughs> I've definitely got that delayed onset muscle uh, soreness, right? Doms. Here we go. Question number one. This comes from the dot Josh dot banner. Favorite way to poop in the great outdoors. Yeah, we're starting off on a high note here, folks. Well, I'll say this, pooping in the outdoors, I enjoy it better than pooping inside. Um, A lot of people would say, but you know, inside you don't have to worry about being cold and whatnot, but outside it just feels so much more primal. And there are a lot of different ways that you can poo in the outdoors. Now, I know a lot of folks will say like, okay, you just find a tree. Well, what does exactly that mean? You know, we don't really ever go into detail of the different ways you can poo in the great outdoors. Well, For many years, I believed in just resting my back up against a tree, kind of doing like a wall squat with my pants around my ankles, hoping that I wouldn't poo into my pants bridge because there is nothing more embarrassing than looking down and realizing that you just dropped a loaf into your boxers that are between your ankles. So do not poo in your pants bridge. But, you know, lately my preferred, actually it's not lately, it's like for the past 15 years or so, my preferred pooing method in the great outdoors is called a pole dancer. Now, I know all of you out there are fine, upstanding men and women who would never frequent an establishment where there's poles and dancers and no disrespect to pole dancers. Um, But 
I'm sure you can imagine what it's like for someone to hold onto a pole, put their legs near that pole, lean back and let it fly. That's my preferred way to poop in the great outdoors. And with that, I feel like I just sold my soul to the devil explaining how I poo in the great outdoors. So I'm going to pass, uh, move on to the next one. Next question comes from my palm of M Y P A L M A V. What's your current training and nutrition look like? Well, I will say that the holidays were good to me and gave me a few extra pounds on my body. And I stepped on the scale this morning and I was like, holy crap, I can't believe I gained that much, but my body weight can fluctuate, you know, up and down pretty easily. And my body weight can fluctuate 15, 20 pounds. Um, when I used to do more of like the jujitsu competitions and, you know, I used to get into competitions or challenges with my buddies who I used to train with, we would see who can drop the most and this and that. So I can tell you that right now I've got some pounds to lose. So let's start with nutrition. I do intermittent fasting, which means for 16 hours of the day, I do not eat. Usually that is between seven o'clock and 11 o'clock. So at seven o'clock at night, I stop eating 11 o'clock in the morning. I have my first meal and then I have a very brief window to eat. Um, I try to eat smaller meals. I don't like gorging myself all at once. I want to spread out my, my meals throughout the day. And where I am right now, because I am doing heavier weight training because, you know, I want to get back into lifting heavier since I feel like I've kind of lost a little bit of what I used to have. I'm going with higher protein, uh, fewer carbs and a decent amount of fat. Um, and then once we get to probably like mid February or March, that's when I'm going to go, uh, with a little bit less protein, moderate protein, high fat, and get back to the the keto diet just to, to lean out for the summer when I'm going to be more active on the trails and whatnot. As far as training is concerned, um, I train now about four times a week, only 30 to 45 minutes a day. Um, but I do get the heart rate up and I do go heavy, uh, right now, you know, I'm mixing it up between traditional, uh, dumbbell and barbell weights as, as well as kettlebells. And I do a lot of carries and some of, uh, the more unconventional things like different mobility exercises for flexibility. So that's what my current training and nutrition looks like. That's a great question. And it's something that you have to, I think everyone that's listening should ask themselves honestly, like, are you doing anything? If not, why not? All right. Tiny underscore Ash underscore M. Will there be any winter vehicle survival in the future on the East Coast or webinars? Winter vehicle courses, let me back that up. Winter courses are tough to sell. People don't want to be out in the cold. Uh, when I worked at the Wilderness Learning Center, this is from 2007 to 2012, we ran one paid winter survival class there. Um, I actually wrote the curriculum for it. And on the day that it hit 35 degrees, everyone took off their shirts and they were doing snow baths because it felt warm. The temperatures were regularly single digit in the teens as well. And uh, I'll tell you that it takes a different breed of person to come out and train in the winter. I know folks who are fair weather survivalists. They don't like training in the rain. I know a lot of folks are fair weather survivalists. They don't like training uh, when the wind is blowing. Well, now you tell them you're going to come out when it's freezing outside <clears throat> and it's difficult to sell. Um, so I would love there to be a winter survival course on the East coast, especially when you look at what just happened on I-95 with all the cars that got stranded on I-95, 
I think it's needed. It's a very, very common scenario. And I think it's one that we need to have on the East Coast. So I'm going to push for it. We'll see if anyone shows. Evelyn GDLC. Do you sing to yourself when you're out in the wild? I do not. I have a terrible voice. Um, I remember <laughs> when I was in middle school, we had this production and everyone's supposed to sing. And the teacher actually was like, no, you don't have to sing. Like, you know, I, I think the teacher kind of felt bad for me. But I know people who do sing to themselves, and it's a great idea to develop mindset, right? To develop a little positivity. Um, there is a reason why militaries use cadences and sailors use cadences. And it's because if a team can sing together, they can work together. Um, also, the cadence helps build in a rhythm to whatever task you're doing, whether it's rowing or, or running or whatever. I do not sing to myself. I'm not telling you guys that you shouldn't. If anything, I'm encouraging you to, as long as you got a decent voice. Next question comes from JDM underscore 633. Forerunner first mods needed to venture off-road. Well, this is a good question that can be answered a lot of different ways, but I'll just tell you what I did. I used my stock vehicle as is because from the factory, that vehicle is already very capable. What I did do to it immediately was throw in the max tracks that I already had and I threw in a recovery strap. You'd be amazed what you can do with just those two items, recovery strap and max tracks. But if you are going to venture off-road, you're gonna want some type of roof rack system. The roof rack system is going to allow you to carry more on top of your vehicle safely, whether those are canoes or cargo boxes or boats or bikes or whatever. Um, I'd get a good roof rack. I still run a Thule rack on mine. And where my vehicle is now is maybe something else that you want to do. Maybe you want to get some type of swing gate for the back of your vehicle to hold your spare since it will take it out from underneath your vehicle. Uh, look up rigged and look up their ultra swing. It's a great, great accessory. Plus the cool thing about that is that it protects your vehicle uh, in case you get into an accident. The, there is a, you've got the tire between you and the person crashing into you. All right. Will Fieldcraft need any fitness instructors? This comes from Kiefskis. I hope I'm saying that right. K-E-I-F-S-K-I-E-S. Will Fieldcraft need any Fieldcraft instructors? I mean, if you're an instructor for Fieldcraft, we're holding you a pretty high standard that you are already physically fit. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to whip myself back into shape. I mean, I like being where I am right now, but I know I could be better for you guys. And I have to be better in case I have to pull someone off a mountain and carry them down. Guys, um, we may need Fieldcraft fitness instructors in the future, but right now we're, we're good. All of our guys are, are good on being role models in that respect. Follow-up question. This is a uh, number seven underscore Fildo underscore Baggins. Any recommendation for a zero degree sleeping bag for $500? 100% Kafaru. Get yourself a Kafaru slick bag, center zip, if you want to have a little bit more comfort, get yourself the wide body bag. I love my Kafaru sleeping bags. Um, I've got a 20, I've got their uh, body bag, the mountain bag, and I have a negative 20. Uh, I'm sorry, I have a zero, I've got their mountain bag, and I've got a negative 20. Those are the three. That negative 20 is ridiculously warm. Uh, with a center zip sleeping bag. You can actually sit up. You don't break the seal of your sleeping bag when you unzip it from the bottom. And you can, depending on where you're sleeping and your what your sleeping arrangement is, you can actually take a leak 
uh, while still in your sleeping bag. Uh, it is possible. And the minute that you break that seal from around your neck, you're, you're going to get cooler and it's going to take more body heat to warm up that bag. So I'm a big fan of Kafaru slick bags. When you guys call Kafaru, talk to Angie, tell her that Kevin sent you. Trust me, she'll take care of you. Matej.vih, Matej.v, travel, shovel, or stick for digging. Well, if I just have a knife, I'm going to make a digging stick. If I do have a shovel, <clears throat> it's probably the Glock field shovel that I've had. No exaggeration since I was 16 years old. So we're looking at what, 26 years, um, same exact shovel, uh, had it for a long time. If I need to dig more or something that's more substantial, I'm going to look at my Demos Delta shovel. People scoff at the price or like, I can't believe that's how much that shovel is, but to have the ability to not have to like go on your knees with your shovel and to be able to reach further with that handle, man, I, I love the Demo shovel. Uh, you really cannot find a, a better shovel than that one. All right. Mark sat zero eight eleven favorite field shirt brand. Big fan of cool and just got a poncho outdoors flannel. That feels great. Well, my favorite field shirts, I know the company's kind of woke, but I like uh, Patagonia. I mean, they've made great flannels for a long time, and I still have a bunch of them from years ago. I am, this is a, <laughs> you know, a shameless plug. I'm a brand ambassador or whatever influencer, if you want to call it that, for Prometheus Design Works. So I use Prometheus Design Works stuff. Um, favorite field shirt brand. I mean, you can't go wrong with some of the other companies that are out there that have been around for a very long time. Fieldcraft, we do have the, the recce shirt, great shirt for travel. Um, but like I said, some of the companies that have been around for a long time, still make great items like LL bean. Um, and before LL bean, I mean, I, th I don't know which came out first LL bean or Woolrich, but both of those are really, really good companies. Um, and pretty soon you're going to be seeing a new field shirt, actually a survival vest coming out from Buffalo. I'm sorry, not Buffalo, uh, from sleeping Indian. And <laughs> I wonder who came up with that design. Will underscore RR underscore most underrated exercise grip strength. Uh, grip strength is very, very important in everything that we do. Grip strength helps you swing an ax. Grip strength will potentially save your ass. Grip strength will give you an advantage combatively. Um, my instructor from the martial arts school that I, I left when I came out here to Utah, <clears throat> Manong Rich Smith, he used to say, uh, you don't, you want to grab onto people and you decide when to let them go because you don't want them to run away when the pain begins. Guys, imagine when you grab someone, they realize that the only way that they're going to get out is if you decide to let them go. Uh, if you guys are into grappling, when you grab someone and they try to break your grip off your, off your collar or off their collar and they can't, there's a moment of doubt in their mind, like who the hell is this person? So I think one of the most underrated exercises is grip strength exercises, hanging, uh, carries, uh, wrist curls, right? All very important to developing grip strength. 
uh, tobacco underscore road underscore adventures. Still interested in the technique of banking a fire. Well, banking a fire is mentioned in my book, 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. And it's an old school trick. Let's think about this one. You need a few ingredients to start a fire. Heat, oxygen, fuel. And if you let your fire burn throughout the night, you are burning fuel. And you may not have a lot of fuel and you may not have a lot of ignition sources to get that fire going. So what do you do? You bank it. The concept of banking a fire involves taking ashes and putting it over the logs that are smoldering. What you're trying to do is you're trying to prevent those logs from gaining access to the oxygen, to the air. And if there's heat and there's fuel, it won't burn efficiently, but it will keep on smoldering throughout the night. In the morning, you can remove the ashes, turn over the logs, blow on them, and you can usually stoke your fire pretty, pretty easily. And it's a hell of a lot better than waking up throughout the night, putting more wood on the fire, trying to keep it going. Uh, It's something that does take some practice. And you'll find that you want to use good dry wood for when you're banking, because if you have a lot of moisture in your wood, the combination of the moisture and the ashes is just too much for that fire to, to overcome. But banking a fire is a great skill set, and it will reduce the amount of wood that you have to cut. And if we're reducing wood, we're reducing the amount of exercise or energy that we have to put out, which means we're following by the survival formula, right? Uh, don't put out more than you can put back into your body. All right. Oh, coffee break. Hold on. Actually, it's a perfect time because this question's coming right up. How do you take your coffee from JVC 102074? Well, <clears throat> I like drinking my coffee black. Uh, <laughs> over the holidays, I just was screwing around a little bit and I kind of did the Jack Carr, you know, Reese, let me have my coffee with honey. But then I was missing back home, which is Connecticut and all the maple trees. And I was like, ah, let me throw some maple syrup in my coffee instead. Um, but at the end of the day, I just like my coffee black. Um, <laughs> I remember when uh, I was at the Wilderness Learning Center, we would drink our coffee black. Cowboy coffee, we would drink it and we'd actually want those grinds in the coffee so we could chew on them and you know get a little extra something out of the coffee. So how do I like my coffee? Black. Very simple. All right. Alan Kelly says, recommend a good tent, three season, two person tent. I've been using the same New England mountain equipment, Nemo, New England mountain uh, tent for a long time. I think I have the Galaxy 2P. They don't make it anymore, uh, but you can still find it. A uh, 3P would be a good three person tent. Very, very easy to set up, easy to take down. Um, a lot of guy out points where you can attach additional lines to the ground to prevent that thing from flying away. And what I like about a lot of those tents, including the one that I just mentioned, the 2P, the Galaxy, is that you can run it with just the rainfly and the poles for like a lightweight shelter in the sun. Like if you're want to camp out under like a tarp or you can run it with just the temp body with the, um, with the mesh only. 
which was how I was camping when I was at gunsight a couple of years ago, or you could put them both together and run the tent with the poles with the rain fly. And you got a really, really good, uh, tent that you can use in cooler weather. So that's my suggestion. All right. Question number 14, Southern Flyboy uh, says favorite blank blade length for everyday carry. Well, since I'm from Connecticut, uh, our laws out there are, are pretty ridiculous. And if you look at the way the law is written, it says like blades four inches and over. So I got in the habit of carrying blades that were just shy of four inches. And if you look at the knives that I've carried over the years, whether it was the Bark River Fox River or the Coster Bushcraft or uh, Fairman Peacemaker or you know my knife, which is the, the Gossman Polaris, uh, Fallen Even F1, almost all those knives are just shy of four inches. And I've learned to do a lot with that blade length because that's what I could carry when I was out in the field. And I could go from the field to a convenience store and not worry about, you know, getting told, Hey, you've got an illegal knife on your belt. Even though Connecticut, we've got this thing called the recreational use, recreational use statute. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's nationwide, but as long as you're engaged in a recreational activity, you can carry a lot of things that you normally wouldn't be able to say going into that store, but I didn't want to take the chance. So my favorite blade length is just shy of four inches my uh, everyday carry blade is my uh, Amtac Minuteman right there at that length. Jamil's 42. What battle belt would you recommend and why? Um, full disclosure, I do have one. I've got an HSGI battle belt that I used to use in courses. And, you know, I would go up to the SIG Academy and <clears throat> it was easier to carry everything on my, my hips for say like a carbine class or a shotgun class. But if I'm just training on the range, like a handgun class, or if I'm doing like a precision long range class, I don't use a battle belt. I don't like the idea of training an alternate reality. Right now I have a 10 core zero belt on. I have the field craft inside the waist belt holster and I got a Glock 17 tucked appendix. I have a spare mag in my back pocket. That's what I run. So I don't like the idea of wearing a battle belt unless it's something supporting something that I don't normally carry anyway. But if I can, and I, and I can, if I can, I'm going to get reps of drawing from concealment, reloading from my pocket, because that's my reality every single day. Um, I have you know, plate carriers, I've got other cool stuff, but if I can, I want to train as close to my reality as much as possible. Um, there will be other times where I'll, I'll throw other things on like that plate carrier is great for a workout. It's freaking heavy, but I don't have it with me every single day right now. It's out in my car. It's not here with me. And, uh, I want to train for my reality. So what battle belt would you recommend and why I would say, get one that you like, but realize that you should be training from concealment with the rig that you carry, um, every single day. All right. What kind of coffee machine is that from Gus Hagen, uh, Ninja. I don't know what model it is. My ex-girlfriend, she got it. And then when she moved out, she didn't want it because it had to be cleaned <laughs> and she didn't know how to reset it or she didn't know how to clean it or something. So I kept it. Um, 
And yeah, it's called the Ninja. It's a great, great coffee machine. All right. A5 underscore Waggy U. What's your favorite land mammal and sea creature? Favorite land mammal. I said my favorite land mammal might be humans. <laughs> I mean, there are some dumb ones out there that are definitely fun to to watch what they do. But if we're talking about four-legged animals, favorite land mammal. Damn, what would that be? I mean, bonobo monkeys are funny because they're just crazy sexual and they do weird stuff. Um, honey badger, just because they don't care, doesn't give a shit. Um, legendary, legendary creature. Favorite land mammal. If you guys look up hippo poo blender, you'll never look at a hippo ever the same way again. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. I don't think I have a, a firm answer just yet. Favorite sea creature. Um, I mean, I'm a, a scuba diver. I've never seen an angel ray, but I want to really, really bad. I've seen some really freaky sharks. Um, hammerhead shark might be one of the coolest looking creatures in the world. Um, favorite sea creature though. Sea turtles are awesome. Um, I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that one, you know? Okay. Slimish, S-L-Y-M-S-H, Slimish, Slimash. Favorite timepiece, rugged or not? Um, over the years, my timepiece that I've worn, my watch that I've worn has changed. Uh, for many years, I was a Swiss Army knife guy, right? Victorinox, uh, I forgot the name of their watch that they had, the Renegade or something. So I wore that for a long time. And then I went through a phase where I was like, okay, I'll want like a metal banded Swiss army. And then I was like, well, I want a G shock because the metal band can break. Then I got into, uh, <clears throat> I got into the marathon series of watches, right? So marathon G SAR, and it was really, really cool. Um, but the one that I'm wearing now is from Aries and it's the diver one really cool story. I actually won it at Overland Expo. And I appreciate Matt Graham, uh, who is the president and the guy behind Aries watches taking care of me. So, uh, thanks Matt. Got an awesome watch. LED road flares powered by batteries or rechargeable. Um, my assistant instructor, he's actually a field craft, uh, primary instructor. Now Jerry young sent me these led flares that are lights that have a magnetic backing, but then there's also a hook on the back of these lights. And what they allow you to do is push the, bu push the button, they light up and they're safe to use. Even if you have, um, you know, a bunch of kids around, right? LED lights are not going to uh, hurt these kids, right? If you just put them up on your vehicle out in the road or whatever, and they're super bright. Um, these are battery powered. And I'm still testing them out to see how long they'll last. Um, but you get, I think, six or eight in a set. And they're programmable to be constant on, flash, to, to blink, you know, all sorts of stuff. So LED road flares are battery powered. Okay. Here we go, guys. This is question number 20. What Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu belt are you? And do you still train? This is from Jamie Sullivan, 08. Jamie, I am a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I actually got my purple belt in, I want to say it was April or May of 2017. Now, I have not ranked up since, 
because of a number of issues. Um, I was writing a book, I was traveling, I got injured multiple times, and I just didn't get a chance to get back into it the way I wanted to. Um, I also switched schools for a while. I was, well, my long, my longest time instructor for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was Chris Smith at IMB Connecticut. And then I was with Jeff Haddad um, <clears throat> over in uh, Bristol, Connecticut at Ascension Athletics. Um, and now I'm out here in Salt Lake City. So for the past year, I haven't been able to really train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I've been trying to figure out where I'm going to be starting up my SIOC program. And I finally uh, got that going at Bernalis uh, Institute of Martial Arts, BIMA in South Salt Lake. So at some point, I'm going to be getting back in that game. Um, a slipped rib and rotator cuff injury, that definitely slowed me down for a bit. And like I said, I wrote a book and then I wrote a second book. So uh, do I still train? Yes, I do. And my training even if it's not always rolling, um, I still have other martial arts that I train in and I still physically train. I still do my mobility exercises and I still watch plenty of videos. Uh, so even if I can't train physically, I'm still training mentally. Does it supplement? Yes. Does it replace? No. All right. Next question. Connor B 44. How do I get started being prepared for the great outdoors? Dude, start somewhere. Um, I don't know anyone who is, I mean, a seasoned outdoorsman or outdoors woman who would say there is only one way to get started. I'm just going to say do something because you'll find that as you get more and more interested in the great outdoors, it will lead to further study and in different areas. Now, a good outdoorsman or outdoors woman, they're versed in a lot of different disciplines, shooting, cordage, fire making, shelter building, right? All of this stuff. So if you say to yourself, Hey, I wanted to go to the range and I want to set up cans on a fence post and pop them with a 22. Cool. Well, why don't you, while you're doing that, set up a moving target, set up some cans that you have hanging and let them float in the wind Well, you're learning how to tie knots in the process. So how do you get more, uh, prepared for the great outdoors? do something, read, watch YouTube videos, go out with friends who offer to take you, do something, realize that the study will be a lifetime study, right? And you can't go wrong just starting off somewhere and growing from there. All right. Opinion on canvas tents recommendations. This comes from PC Jameson. Uh, canvas tents, they're heavy, real heavy, but if you don't have to worry about the weight, David Ellis, uh, cowboycanvas.com, I think is his website, or maybe David Ellis. He makes some really good canvas tents. You can also find, I know years ago, Major Surplus and Survival, they used to sell army tents. Uh, you can find pretty decent canvas tents that just require like a two by four frame. And if you don't want to go that route, you can get like a baker tent. And a baker tent is more of like a traditional bushcraft tent. If you guys check out, uh, the British bushcrafter, Ray Mears, look up Ray Mears Baker tent, and you'll see he used one on a canoe trip. Pretty awesome. It's really designed to be used with a fire. Um, but be careful guys, sill nylon and the lightweight nylons, they melt waxed canvas is a wick. Um, if you guys don't believe me, get a swatch of wax canvas, get a swatch of sill nylon, 
light one corner of each and you'll see that that sill nylon will probably burn out. That wax canvas will keep going. All right. Is reverse gripping a knife Benchmade Sock P effective enough? This is from Gabagool over here. Um, this one's kind of tricky to answer. Is reverse gripping a, a knife Benchmade Sock P effective enough? I don't know what you mean by effective. Like if you're talking about for retention, as long as you're capping your thumb over the top of a tool uh, as you're reverse gripping it and you're thrusting with it, you have a very low chance of riding the blade. What I do wonder about though is with the sock P uh, or any knife that has a ring to it where you're encouraged to put your finger through that ring. Reverse gripping a sock P means you're putting your trigger finger through a ring. And if you don't impact something that's soft that can take the blow, but you impact something hard, where does all that energy go? And could it hurt you? So I don't know what you mean by reverse gripping a knife effective enough. Plenty of people every single year end up in the hospital and in the morgue because of people reverse gripping kitchen knives. Uh, and usually the handle's broken off that kitchen knife when they get to the hospital. So guys, if you're wondering, is it effective enough? I don't know. Just look at all the case studies that are out there. All right. Only girl, Graham. If you could have dinner with anyone alive or dead, who would you choose and why? Good hypothetical question. I used to ask this one to all my high school students. I used to always say Teddy Roosevelt. Um, the reason why Teddy Roosevelt, American president, grew up in Long Island, New England, right? Oyster Bay, uh, Oyster Bay, New York, father of conservation, uh, big fan of Teddy Roosevelt's exploits. I mean, if you guys haven't heard, Teddy Roosevelt used to challenge professional boxers on the White House lawn because he said a man needs to know his limits. <laughs> so maybe Teddy Roosevelt. Um, yeah, I'm sticking with that one. Another hypothetical question. Here we go. From the Ben Smith, which would win in a fight, shark or grizzly bear? I answered this one on my Instagram story. I said, it's very terrain dependent. If that shark's on land, I'm going grizzly bear all day. If that fight is in the water, I'm probably going to go with the shark unless it's just enough water where the grizzly bear can still stand up and get a purchase on the ground. A few folks commented as replies to my Instagram story saying, well, <clears throat> you said salt water and there's some freshwater sharks like bull sharks. I'm not saying there aren't. Uh, guys, we're talking about Instagram stories here. Settle down. All right. Last three questions. Joe098, any recommendations, references on what gear to have in your vehicle? Um, the gear that you want to put in your vehicle should keep it rolling. Tire pressure gauge, not a bad idea. Uh, not a bad idea to have recovery boards. Not a bad idea to have a battery pack like a NOCO. Not a bad idea to have in your vehicle some basic life support equipment, like a sleeping bag, a sleeping pad, small gas stove, like a pocket rocket, along with a metal pot, some water that you store uh, in metal containers. So you can always heat up those metal containers and melt the ice back into water. A little bit of food, uh, spare batteries, you know, things like that, all good options. Also think about having some stuff in your vehicle in case you have to leave your vehicle. So what I mean by that is, if you are working in an office, 
bring good footwear in your vehicle every single day in case you have to walk home from getting stuck halfway in your commute. Same thing goes for good warm clothing. All right. Next, next question comes from Fjord, F-J-O-R-D-D. Saw you using a scout rifle. Do you think it would be good for Eastern Woods hunts? Example, Virginia. I would. Uh, the scout rifle that I have is a Steyr Scout, 19-inch uh, barrel, 308, and it's got a one to five or one and a half to five uh, loophole uh, optic on it. That's the rifle that I took to Gunsight 270. Um, it's the rifle that I won the silver chicken with in the shoot off. Um, I love that rifle. It has a spaghetti barrel, fluted spaghetti barrel. And when we were sighting in, people were like, damn, that thing's accurate. Um, and it really is. It's surprisingly, surprisingly accurate for being such a, a lightweight gun. Uh, I grew up in the Eastern woods and you're not taking very long shots. I mean, maybe you're on the edge of a clearing and maybe you're shooting hundred, 200 yards. That rifle is truly capable, uh, out to four or 500 yards. But at what distance do you say you're shooting at what distance you say you're hunting? So I'm going to tell you that that rifle is definitely, definitely a good deer rifle for the Eastern woods. Low powered magnification is great because you're not going to have too high, even at the highest setting of a magnification where you're not gonna be able to find your animal. Um, plus, plus, um, having that optic mounted forward of the receiver, it improves your field of vision. And that was one of the reasons why Jeff Cooper wanted a scout rifle. It was kind of a general purpose, you know, grab one rifle, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's not going to replace every single rifle, but it's not a terrible option to have. Uh, so I would definitely say 308. Uh, although it is available in 6.5 Creedmoor, and I recently shot two deer with 6.5 Creedmoor, and that blisters them nicely. All right. Last question. Guys, just a reminder before I get into this last one, uh, these questions are all from you. Uh, these questions I write down, and I will answer them in these podcasts uh, moving forward. As long as you want me to, I'm going to. Um, and let me finish up this coffee here. Just a reminder that, uh, coffee that I'm consuming here is from black rifle coffee. There are good friends. Please check them out. Try out the silencer smooth. Last question. This one's from Robert Nolan, 28. Can survival tins be realistic or just a good way to carry little things? Survival tins can be very realistic if you understand their realistic uh, advantages, disadvantages, and you know their the left and right limits of them, so to speak. A survival tin is not going to replace your fanny pack, shoulder bag, backpack, things in your car, but your survival tin is going to be there in case you lose a lot of your other gear. If you have a few matches and a small Bic lighter in your survival tin and you happen to lose the ferro rod that's on your knife sheath or your fire starting kit that's in your backpack, it's very realistic to use something in your tin. Your survival tin might be the only place where you everyday carry fish hooks and you might be thrust into a scenario 
And it's not even a life or death scenario. You might be thrust in a scenario where you're just bored out of your mind, but there's a pond nearby and you want to kill some time. Well, you can use your survival tin to go fishing. Um, your survival tin might have a few other things in there. A little button compass. Guys, it's not the compass that you're going to use in one of our land navigation courses, but it's still good for general orienteering and wayfinding. So when people say like, is this Rivalton realistic? It is if you carry it. Uh, there are a lot of folks that build survival kits to leave them behind, or they build a kit so large, it becomes impractical to carry because it's just a burden. Well, what if you have something in your pocket every single day that just makes sense, right? That doesn't get in the way. I would say it's 100% a realistic tool um, that I think you should definitely carry. Guys, hard to believe that was 41 minutes, 40 or 41 minutes of 28 questions. I try to do between 25 and 30 questions. And as you can see, or I should say, as you can hear from this podcast, I'll answer anything, right? I mean, if I don't know something, I'll tell you, I don't know, or maybe you should want to check this out. Like <clears throat> if you ask me a whole bunch of bow hunting questions, I'm gonna be like, talk to Aaron Snyder from Kafaro. Right. If you guys want to ask me about tactics and, you know, mission capable gear for, you know, raiding a house and overseas, I'm going to be like, probably want to talk to Kevin Owens and Mike Glover. Right. I've never been overseas to kick indoors. Um, but guys, when I do have the ability to answer something based on my training, based on my experiences and in my swim lane, I'm going to. So that's the whole purpose of this podcast. This was number three coffee and questions. Guys, I am Kevin Estella drinking Black Rifle Coffee, answering your questions. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.